Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 74 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. If you're listening to this episode the day it drops, then it's three days until Thanksgiving here in the States. So that's our theme for the day. And to make this holiday episode even more special, my pod pal Moxie from over at the Your Brain on Facts podcast is joining us today. She'll be serving up a heaping helping of fantastic facts and various tasty bits of knowledge about the holiday and more. I know I've said this before, but if you're not listening to Your Brain on Facts, check it out. It's a fantastic show. Okay, without further ado, let's feast on today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Okay, toppers, the history of Thanksgiving is a long one. While there's some debate about when exactly it happened, who attended, what they were celebrating, and what was served, one thing is for sure. Almost everyone enjoys a good old Thanksgiving Day parade. That's right, toppers, I'm not going to go over the history of the holiday itself. Most folks know that story. Instead, I'm going to reveal to you the origins and history of the tradition of parading large balloons and floats in front of cheering crowds on Turkey Day. Now, I know that parades aren't only held on Thanksgiving, but the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is watched by millions. In fact, last year over 24 million people saw the event. It's not the most watched parade, but it's way up there, and people of all ages look forward to it each year. Something I didn't know before researching for this episode is that it's not the oldest Thanksgiving Day parade. That distinction goes to the Philadelphia Parade, which began in 1920, four years before Macy's. Now, this wasn't the first parade ever, not by a long shot, but it has the designation of being the country's oldest Thanksgiving Day parade. The 1920 parade was sponsored by Gimbel's department store, and as such, was called the Gimbel's Thanksgiving Day Parade. One of the store's founders, Ellis Gimbel, had over 50 of his employees dress up in costumes and participate in the parade, in the hopes of bringing more customers to his store for the holidays. After the floats, marchers, balloons, and more had made their way down Market Street, Santa Claus climbed a fire truck ladder to arrive at the store's eighth floor, where the toy department was located. When Gimbel's was liquidated in 1986, the parade was saved by Boskov's, a family-owned department store based in Reading, Pennsylvania. It became sponsored by the WPVI television station also known as 6ABC. Due to this, the parade's name changed to the 6ABC Boskov's Thanksgiving Day Parade. When Boskov's went bankrupt in 2008, IKEA took over, but only until 2010. 2011 brought new sponsor Dunkin' Donuts to the table. So now that we talked about the oldest, let's look at the biggest. 
Well, actually, there's one more stop first. Prior to the Macy's Parade, New York already had a parade of sorts. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving to be a national holiday, ensuring it was celebrated on the same day across the country. By 1870, the Ragamuffin Parade became a thing. This tradition consists of children dressing up as ragamuffins, which meant painting their faces and wearing tattered clothes. They went door-to-door asking if people had anything for Thanksgiving. Commonly distributed items were apples, candy, and pennies. And if you're wondering, yes, this was also a predecessor to trick-or-treating on Halloween. While this traditional parade of children has fallen in and out of popularity since it started, some New Yorkers still participate to this day. Now, let's get back to Macy's. Roland Macy's flagship store expanded to fill an entire city block in 1924, and to both celebrate this and entice people to come to the store, he decided to put on a parade. However, as a store owner, he intended it to be a parade all about Christmas, to hype up folks for some serious seasonal shopping. That's why it was originally called the Macy's Christmas Parade. It was originally a six-mile route, a bit longer than the modern-day two-and-a-half miles. His first parade included zoo animals, people dressed up in vibrant and exciting costumes, floats, bands, and, of course, Santa Claus. I couldn't confirm exactly when the name changed to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but it's remained a beloved way to kick off the Christmas season since its first year. Now, let's move on to the next course for the day, a couple of myths related to turkey. Is it true that Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird? Well, frankly, no. Here's what really went down. On January 26, 1784, Benny Boy sent a letter to his daughter, in which he criticized the eagle on the original design for the Great Seal of the United States, and stated it looked more like a turkey than an eagle. In his letter, he said the bald eagle was, quote, a bird of bad moral character. He does not get his living honestly. He is too lazy to fish for himself. End quote. And about the turkey, he wrote, quote, a much more respectable bird, and withal a true original native of America. He is besides, though a little vain and silly, a bird of courage. End quote. He never once publicly suggested that the turkey would make a great symbol for the country. He merely seemed to think that turkeys were better birds, and told his daughter his thoughts in a letter. Now, Franklin did have a suggestion for the great seal but no birds of any sort were anywhere in his proposal. He thought the image should include, quote, Moses standing on the shore and extending his hand over the sea, thereby causing the same to overwhelm Pharaoh, who is sitting in an open chariot. End quote. He offered this as the motto, quote, Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. End quote. His idea was liked by some, but eventually was turned down by the Continental Congress. So there you go. Myth busted. The other turkey-themed myth I want to discuss today is that turkey makes you sleepy. Most everyone who's had a big meal on Thanksgiving knows the feeling that sometimes follows. Exhaustion. 
the often-cited culprit? The turkey. More specifically, tryptophan. But is this amino acid really to blame for our desire to take a nap after our meal? First of all, what exactly is tryptophan? It's a component of serotonin, which gets converted into melatonin, which helps makes us sleepy. We don't make tryptophan naturally, so we do have to get it from the foods we eat. Okay, so it sounds like tryptophan could be tripping up our plans to be productive, but let's look further. Pound for pound, there are many foods that contain more tryptophan than turkey, including, but not limited to, soybeans, several varieties of cheese, various types of nuts and seeds, some fruits and veggies, and even pork and chicken. So if turkey isn't even the meat with the most tryptophan, why does it get the bad rap? Well, basically because Thanksgiving Day is when turkey really shines. Of course we eat turkey year-round, but it's not the center of attention in the same way it is on Thanksgiving. Over time, people began to equate the main course with the post-meal passing out, and the idea stuck. So, just how much turkey would it take to actually make you sleepy? According to some science stuff I read, you'd have to consume a full gram of tryptophan all at once before it could start to have an immediate effect on you. While a gram doesn't sound like much, it would take at least 12 ounces of turkey to get a full gram. A serving is only 2 to 3 ounces, so you'd have to consume 4 to 6 servings before you'd begin to feel something. And yes, I know I just listed a bunch of other foods that have tryptophan in them, some of which are eaten at Thanksgiving. But from what I read, it's pretty hard to eat enough food to actually take in a full gram of the amino acid all at once. Not impossible, but not easy. Obviously, I'm no scientist, but I can read what they say, and everything I read agreed. It's not the tryptophan's fault you feel drowsy after Thanksgiving dinner. So, why do you want to kick back on the couch after the meal? It boils down to the quantity of the food you take in. Eating a much bigger than normal meal, especially one full of carbs and sugars, means your body has to work extra hard to digest it. If your body is working harder, you get more tired. It's as simple as that. So, don't blame the turkey when you yawn. Well, don't blame just the turkey. Now it's time to serve up the factual feast that Moxie has prepared for us. Hi, this is Moxie from Your Brain on Facts. Some of us learn to cook standing next to our parents, some from TV chefs, and some in home ec classes. Some people, however, seem never to have learned to cook at all. Thankfully for them, when Thanksgiving rolls around, help is as close as their telephone in the form of the Butterball Turkey Talk Line Hotline. When the hotline first opened in the early 1980s, a mere six home economists responded to 11,000 phone calls during November and December. These days, the staff has expanded to more than 50 and they answer more than 100,000 questions. The questions range from sensible things like how long will it take to thaw the turkey to do you have any advice for getting a chihuahua out of a turkey? The operators must have the patience of saints to deal with people who fear they won't be able to get their turkey out of the oven because they think it will rise like a loaf of bread.
One operator even stayed on the phone with a caller through their entire Thanksgiving grocery shopping trip. They've reassured housewives that the turkey found in the bathtub with their children, thanks to a husband who was too clever by half, will be safe to eat because the wrapper was intact. They've tried to gently persuade a caller that the turkey from their father's deep freeze was probably not okay to eat, since it was from 1969. One operator dealt with a caller asking if the turkey would be adversely affected by the oil from the chainsaw he planned to use to cut it up. Another operator had to explain to her caller that the apparent lack of breast meat on their turkey was because it was upside down. One bereft caller had tried to wash her turkey with dish soap and called in tears because it wouldn't stop sudsing. Sadly, turkey talk line operators couldn't help the woman who stored her turkey in a snowbank outside, and a subsequent snowfall left her unable to find it. While the turkey is almost universally the centerpiece of the table, the surrounding dishes vary widely and gloriously from family to family. Some would never conceive of serving their feast without sweet potato casserole, while others would not recognize it as Thanksgiving without green bean casserole. Bonus fact, the recipe for green bean casserole was created by the Campbell Soup Company to boost sales of condensed cream of mushroom soup. Many people think their Thanksgiving spread resembles what we call the first Thanksgiving. It may resemble drawings in a grade school textbook, but not the real meal. At least as far as we know. Records are scarce, and much of the knowledge is pieced together by archaeologists, culinarians, anthropologists, biologists, et al. The first Thanksgiving dinner, which served some 140-odd people, was cooked by four women, as all the other female colonists had either perished in the voyage or in the early days of the colony. Turkeys may have been served, but the fowl the menfolk hunted probably included things like quail, duck, geese, and passenger pigeon, a bird so numerous that flocks of it would black out the sky, but whom we hunted to extinction in about 200 years. Smaller birds would have been roasted on a spit, but wild turkeys, even though they are smaller than their domestic cousins, are too big for that and would have to be boiled first. Spit roasting may have precluded stuffing the birds, which would have been done with herbs and onions rather than any sort of bread product. Speaking of stuffing, or should I say dressing, well that depends on where I am and where it is. One rule of thumb is that the substance is stuffing if it's cooked in the bird, so it was stuffed in. It's dressing if it is cooked separately. The terms are also colloquial. According to Butterball, not a sponsor of the show, stuffing is the dominant term, preferred, though by no means used exclusively, in 39 states. Back to the entree. The birds share top billing with deer contributed by the Wampanoag tribe, organs and all, as well as fish, eels, shellfish, and lobster. Another bonus fact Lobsters were originally so plentiful on the shores of New England that they were fed to the poor, servants and prisoners. House servants actually went on strike to protest being fed these glamorous-seeming sea cockroaches too often. Corn would have been on the table, though not sweet corn, 
most of the corn was flint corn, the kind you dry for cornmeal, so corn would have been represented in baked goods or porridges. There were some root vegetables to be had, but potatoes from South America, sweet potatoes from the Caribbean, and yams from Africa hadn't arrived yet. And yes, sweet potatoes and yams are distinctly different plants. Vegetable side dishes could have included peas, beans, carrots, and different kinds of squashes. Pumpkins, if they made an appearance, would not have been in the form of pie. In addition to not having ovens to bake in, aside from perhaps cast-iron Dutch ovens, the colonists had no butter or flour to make crust, and precious little sugar to sweeten the filling. They hadn't established their beehives yet, and maple syrup wouldn't come into play for another sixty years. A lack of sugar also meant that ruby-red cranberry sauce was as rare as actual rubies. Cranberries without sugar are an exercise in endurance. Beer was a major player in terms of beverages, even for the children, but that was more of an everyday thing once the colony was established. The colonists drank beer because they did not trust the water in their new home. They assumed it was as revoltingly polluted as the rivers in England, which served as both water supply and sewage system. The process of brewing beer sanitizes and preserves water. People would start drinking at breakfast. From 1612 we shuffle step to 1912, the year when Oreo cookies were invented, New Mexico and Arizona were made into states, and the unsinkable Titanic left dock. It was also the year that more than a dozen women were fired for dancing the turkey trot. The turkey trot, which was done to ragtime music, rose immediately in popularity at the beginning of the last century, though, like any fad, fell equally quickly out of favor. The fox trot, a much more conservative dance step based on the waltz, would replace it two years later. The basic step consisted of four hopping steps sideways with the feet wide apart, first on one leg, then the other, with a characteristic rise on the ball of the foot, followed by a drop upon the heel. It achieved popularity chiefly as a result of being denounced by the Vatican. Even bad publicity is still publicity. It was thought that the positions assumed by the dancers were offensively suggested. Also, it likely originated in African-American dance halls. So, there are certain types that didn't sit well with. Conservative members of society felt the dance promoted immorality and tried to get it banned at public functions, which only served to increase its popularity. There were news reports of dancers being fined because, quote, their turkey trots were interpreted by the courts as disorderly conduct. In 1912, 15 female employees of the Curtis Publishing Company in Philadelphia were seen dancing the turkey trot on their lunch hour. Edward Bach, editor of the Ladies' Home Journal, witnessed the horror and had them all summarily fired. The incident made national news, with headlines like, Girls danced to the turkey trot, and editor Bach saw them and was fearfully shocked. In another strange incident, reported by the Scranton Republican, a 76-year-old woman was being sued by her nephew after she refused to move in with him and allow him to control her money. The nephew, quote, 
claimed she was incompetent to administer the $50,000 estate because she turkey-trotted with bartenders, end quote. The trial involved testimony from 41 witnesses, including four doctors. Quote, the nephew's assertion that her inclination to turkey-trot with persons who did not exactly belong to select circles showed she was insane. This was combated by the four physicians who declared her of sound mind. Mrs. Gray also denied that she had ever turkey-trotted with bartenders. If you're wondering about the name turkey-trot, most couples' dances of the times had animal-based names, such as bunny-hug, horse-trot, and grizzly-bear. Thanks, Brisky, for sharing your audience with me today. And if the gentle listener would like to hear more of what I do, you can check out Your Brain on Facts, a half-hour show of things you didn't know, things you thought you knew, and things you never knew you never knew, available on all popular podcast platforms or at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thank you so much, Moxie, for sharing all that delicious information with us. Okay, toppers, now it's time for today's familiar quotation. Toppers, today's familiar quotation is from President Harry Truman. Here's what he had to say about turkey. Quote, I have no desire to crow over anybody or to see anybody eating crow, figuratively or otherwise. We should all get together and make a country in which everybody can eat turkey whenever he pleases. End quote. Thank you, President Truman, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words. Love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer. Remember that this advice is over a hundred years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't advise your husband on subjects of which you are, if anything, rather more ignorant than he. And now for the men. Don't condescend. You are not the only person in the house with brains. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 74. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnaphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. And Moxie, thanks again for your contribution to today's episode. Until next time, toppers, I wish you the happiest 
of Thanksgivings. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. Santa Claus kind... It became sponsored by the WPVI television... <laughs> Why am I saying it like that? I couldn't confirm exactly when the name changed to... I think I skipped something. He never once publicly stated that the dirt... We should all get a... Nope.